Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, flagonvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning to everyone at home. I know you're in your pajamas right now. It's so good to have you with us, so thank you for joining us. If we haven't met before, my name's Stu. I'm part of the team here, and um, happy Boxing Day, everybody. I um, hope you're having a wonderful Christmas time. If you've got a Bible with you, um, whether you're here or if you are at home, can I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. As I look back over the eight years that Emma and I have been married, there is an interaction that takes place pretty much every day. One of us will come home from a long day of work and we'll head straight to the kitchen and then we'll find the other uh, finishing off some food. Usually that's me, I am the cook in the house. And utensils, coats, bags are set down. We kiss because romance is not dead, people. And then one of us, usually me, the one doing the cooking, will ask a simple question. Hey, how was your day? Truthfully, I'd really struggle to imagine a day where this interaction doesn't take place. It is taking place most days since our marriage began. It's become a ritual for Emma and I, and like all good rituals, this has shaped us and it has formed us. We need this moment every day just to debrief what is going on. This ritual has at times lasted for seconds, and at other times it's lasted for hours as we shift around the kitchen, finding a seat up on the worktop while the other finishes cooking with both the extractor fan and the Sonos speaker just humming in the background. Every day we chat about the most ordinary of work interactions. We process our worries, our heartaches, and we've also shared our most embarrassing moments like trying to say mindset shift in church, which oftentimes goes horribly wrong for me. Um, this, yeah, there we go. Um, this simple question about today has opened us up to bits of our lives that oftentimes are a bit unseen and a bit overlooked. And it's allowed us to see that the everyday, the ordinary, the stuff that's actually taking place in our lives, that really requires our attention. And this morning we're going to spend some time looking at Joseph, a man who is often overlooked and unseen in the birth narratives of Jesus, yet Joseph is a good man, a man who does the right thing. And so as we come to read the scriptures today, can I invite us to stand together for the reading of God's word? Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Come, Holy Spirit. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, uh, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. 
but he did not consummate their marriage until he, she gave birth to a son, and they gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, given to us so that we would know the love of the Father, would practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please grab a seat. Keep the Bible open as we unpack this passage together. Joseph is set to marry Mary, but he finds out that she is pregnant. And Joseph, we find out, is a devout Jew. He really cares about Mary, and so he decides that the best thing to do is to divorce her quietly, to stop this from being the talk of the town. Their being together, both unmarried and pregnant, would bring shame upon them both, and Joseph just didn't want that for Mary. Now, a little bit of context is probably helpful here because Joseph and Mary are together, but they're not married. So why is there the need for a divorce? Well, in Jewish custom, like ours, you're engaged before you are married. But engagements back in the day were so much more heightened. An engagement was like a solemn contract where a soon-to-be husband and wife would be betrothed to one another. This pledge to marry would have lasted for a full year before the couple would become fully married, if you know what I mean. And yet this heightened sense of engagement could only be broken by legally divorcing. And so with all that's swirling around him, Joseph reckons that a quiet divorce is the best thing to do. But he falls asleep one night, and in verse 20, we see an angel appears to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Time and time again throughout the scriptures, this is the message that the Father longs for us to hear. Chris has done a brilliant job in the past couple of weeks of highlighting this for us. We live in this age of ambient anxiety. There's so much tension in our bodies. Our bodies know the score. And our minds, they're often so scattered and unsettled. But if we were able to slow down for a moment, stop rushing through, we might just hear the Father's voice gently cutting through the noise, asking us, do not be afraid. If we're attentive to the voice of God, we'll come to see that he doesn't want to take us out of the tensions of life but instead wants to offer us his gift of peace right in the thick of life. Peace that comes from knowing that we are never on our own. The angel goes on to say to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a fulfillment of all of the prophecies of Isaiah and of so many others. A miracle has taken place in Mary, a deep mystery, a virgin who has become pregnant. And in verse 21, the angel says, you shall call him Jesus. A common name in that time in the ancient Near East, by the way, it's the Greek form of a familiar name, Joshua, meaning Yahweh saves or God rescues. The angel is prophetically pointing towards Christ's future. And so as he wakes up, Joseph realizes that there is so much more than what is going on, than, than what meets the eye. And despite the craziness, he commits himself to the mystery. He takes Mary home to be his wife. And together they wait for this miracle, for Emmanuel, for Jesus to arrive. This morning, just for a couple of moments, I want to invite us to place ourselves in Joseph's story. Because as we do that, we get to see what the incarnation is all about. Because truthfully for Joseph, things didn't really turn out like he would have expected. 
we have this young man excited for his future, but then a scandal hits. From being set to marry, he's now thinking that he needs to divorce Mary, who's pregnant, and it's not even his baby. Like, that is real life going on right there, right? Because life can get a bit messy from time to time. And faced with some mess, we can think that it's all down to us to sort this stuff out. Surely with everything that's messy that's going on in my life, whenever we're brought low and we feel a little bit broken, we get excluded from the things of God, right? He is angry and he isn't really interested in us until we are clean and we are perfect. We so often think about God like that. But I want you to listen to these words of good news from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is the great news of the incarnation. Louise, you want to flick on the first slide? God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. By the way, that is kind of all of us, right? The wonder of the incarnation is that mess doesn't exclude us from the things of God. In fact, messiness seems to be the place where Jesus loves to build a home. There's no situation that is too low or too broken for God to march right into And while there are hard, difficult moments in our lives whenever everything is turned upside down, the truth is is that most of our days, we're simply trying to work towards our expectations. We have this idea, this mental image in our head of the shape that we want our lives to take. And so we are constantly trying to head in that sort of direction, trying to make our expectations become real. That means we need to avoid things going wrong. And so we have this tendency to become superhuman, invincible, trying to avoid disappointments and hurt, trying to keep ourselves together all the time, and yet heartbreaks, pain, vulnerability, grief, sickness, suffering, and loss, they're the things that draw out our humanity, not take away from it. Let me put it to you like this. If the King of Kings experienced all of the emotions that I just said a few moments ago, it is totally okay that we get to experience them too. In trying to have it all together all the time, trying to avoid brokenness, we miss out on what God is wanting to do. Or as Anne Voskamp so beautifully puts it, brokenness happens in a soul, so the power of God can happen in a soul. In our heartbreaks, in our pain, in our loss, there is an invitation in that place to experience the goodness of God. In the incarnation, we get to see that the Lord of everything becomes human, really human. And yet we spend so much time trying to escape our humanness. And yet, as God becomes really human, the invitation of Christmas is for us to become really human too. As far as I can tell, God's not a fan of ideal worlds and ideal people. He loves the world and loves people just as they are. People full of glory and goodness, people full of frailty and failure. In Mary's womb, the exact representation of God becomes human. The question, though, is will we become truly human also? 
As we place ourselves in Joseph's story, you can just imagine this devout Jewish man longing for a Messiah, encountering this angel, hearing of this miraculous Messiah birth. And he's thinking, right, life's going to get pretty spectacular for me right now. And yet, as we would read in Luke's account of what happens, it doesn't quite turn out like that. There is a census for the Roman Empire that is to be taken in and around the time whenever Mary was going to give birth. And so Joseph takes his heavily pregnant wife to Bethlehem to register them for the census. And while they're there, Mary gives birth. And there is no room available to them in any guest rooms. And so the Messiah is born into the most everyday, mundane of circumstances. Now, in our heads, we imagine Mary and Joseph rocking up to Bethlehem, sat on a camel, seeing neon, no vacancy signs throughout the town, right? And then they walk out into the distance to find a stable or a barn or a cave surrounded by these random animals that just appear out of nowhere. And it's in that place that Jesus is born. Now, that's a really lovely image. I've got lots of Christmas cards with that on it, usually from older people. But it's not true, right? It's very different, in fact. With the tight network of family lines, Joseph would have expected to find a guest room available for him with any family relative in Bethlehem. Feeling that, he would be able to recite his family line, which we read in the first chapter of Matthew. He would be able to knock on any door and say, hey, I'm Joseph, son of David, son of Matan, son of Eleazar, son of Elud, and he would have been welcomed into any home. But it appears as if every home was full that night. Now, Homes in the ancient Near East had a certain shape to them. Most families would have lived in a single room house, which would have had a small guest room either upstairs or in the back. And in this single living room where everybody would have been crammed in, eating, sleeping, everything would have taken place there, there would have been a small step of stairs, maybe two or three steps, and there would be this lower compartment for animals to be brought in for warmth and for safety. Mary and Joseph found no space in any guest rooms, and so they would have been squeezed into the living quarters of a family. Think about the most ordinary, mundane part of your life. Comfies on, bedhead, making brunch, kids screaming, all that kind of stuff. That is the place where Jesus arrives. Jesus isn't born some distance away in a stable or a cave. He is born in the midst of a family home. The bedroom, the kitchen, the living room, all in one, surrounded by another family with all of the relatives arriving, kids running around, food on the table, with animals tucked away in the corner, their hay being used to make the manger more comfortable. Jesus was born into the most ordinary of circumstances, right into the thick of ordinary life. And why? Because that is where the wonder is. You just need to slow down so that you're able to see it. Joseph's story in Matthew 1 shows us two things. It is into the humanness and into the dailiness of things that Jesus makes himself known. That is the incarnation. Jesus revealing himself in parts of our humanity and in the rhythm of everyday life. And yet those are so often the things that we're trying to escape from all of the time. In Matthew 1, we see Joseph naming his son Jesus, but we also find God naming himself Emmanuel, God with us. 
This is the name of presence, the witness of God in everything. The truth is, is that we find Christ's presence everywhere. Wherever we go, there is nowhere that he is not with us. His presence is undeniable and it is secure in brokenness, in absence, in dark nights of the soul, in deconstruction, even whenever we can't see him or feel him, he is alive and he is at work. Emmanuel is present. Even whenever everything around us feels like winter, things have dried up, things have got a bit hard, a bit cold, he is right there. So often he's just inviting us under the surface inviting us into the underground, to the place of waiting and maturity so that we are able to experience his renewal in spring. We can't flee from his presence. In all seasons, he is with us. And the question that Christmas poses to us is simply this, are we present to the one who is present to us? Ronald Rollheiser puts it like this, We go through our days too preoccupied, too compulsive, too driven, and too unsatisfied to be able to be present to and to celebrate our lives. Always, it seems, we are somehow missing out on life. We're so preoccupied. We keep missing out on God. Take the rhythm of our everyday lives, for instance. Either they are just way too full with the pressure to get on to the next thing. There's another notification that then distracts us. We simply leave no room to be attentive to God. Or so often we do everything we can to escape our everyday lives because it's just a bit ordinary, right? We feel a sense of lack. And so we find ourselves simply consuming other people's stories or we feel a sense of shame about our own. And then in our screen lives or in our actual lives, we just throw glitter and sparkle to try to make our lives more than they actually are. And we wonder why we are just so knackered and unsatisfied, investing so much of our lives, consuming and producing flickering pixels. What if we made room to pay attention to the presence of Jesus? I always love the week between Christmas and New Year. It's always a bit weird. Emma and I've got two days where we are not leaving the house. Starts tomorrow. I can't flip and wait. It's quiet. It's disrupted in a positive way. What if we made room to go in the opposite direction of the noise of our year. And we just carved out a few moments, a few minutes for quiet reflection. Times to become aware that the most overlooked, the most ordinary, the most lispern, because it is an adjective too, you know, the most lispern of moments and places. Well, Jesus is there. His personal presence is alive in our dailiness. Just like Emma and I need to ask each other in the kitchen, how was your day? To become aware of what is going on, maybe we need to be that little bit more attentive about our actual lives, developing rituals of presence and attention. The incarnation invites us to attend to ourselves, not our ideal selves, but who we actually are. Being human, 
It means seeing that there is no such thing as a finished story, that all of our lives are unresolved, that we are all light and we are all shadow. Our lives are lived at the intersection of the now and the not yet. Remember, Jesus became human, and so he invites us to become human also. I'll never forget a conversation where I was sat with a dear friend in a park, a beautiful park. It was late spring, and the sun was shining through the trees. But my dear friend, their heart was broken, full of grief. Their body was in pain. And I looked around to them, and I asked them if they were all right. And they looked up, and they looked into me, into, into my eyes, and they said this, I'm not good, but I'm here. I'm not good, but I'm here. That is incarnation. Sitting in the tension, staring at the context of our actual lives, not running away, but being present and being open to the presence of the Prince of Peace. The things that we so often try to escape, our vulnerabilities, the broken bits of our lives, the bits that hurt, they are the door to the Father's heart. It is in that place of presence, despite pain, that we get to encounter Emmanuel and we realize that he is easy to find. And Voskamp puts it like this, God with us. He names himself that, Emmanuel, God with us. Because withness breaks brokenness. God's with us in the fire. Maybe suffering doesn't have to torch life's purpose, but can ultimately achieve the true purpose of life, which is intimacy. The glory of the incarnation is that Emmanuel never leaves us, but the relief of the incarnation is that he will never forsake us. He is the one who is familiar with sufferings. He sees our frame. He reckons, recognizes us as bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, but he doesn't break us or blow us out. Instead, he moves towards us. He becomes like us so that he can be intimately with us, like two lovers in a kitchen talking and listening about today. Do not be afraid the angel said to Joseph, do not be afraid. We don't need to be afraid anymore because his presence is our peace. And in our everyday lives, in our bodies and in our experiences, we are never alone. Christ has come, Emmanuel is with us. Friends, the incarnation was not a 33 year long experiment. It continues today through us, as we learn to be present to the one who is present to us in the most everyday, most human, most raw, and most hopeful aspects of our lives, the incarnation, it is the pattern for the fullness of life. It is the way that Jesus himself lived. The question for us is, will we join him by drawing near to our humanness and to the dailiness of our lives? Will we make room for him? Because as we do, we will become alive. We will become human and we will become present. Emmanuel, he is not a long way off in the distance. Instead, 
he is really easy to find. As we come to worship, why don't you stand with me? Lucy, do you want to come on up? As we come to worship this morning, why don't you just close your eyes? And why don't you just take a couple of breaths in and out? Why don't you allow your scattered senses to be gathered in one space here? And before we sing, I just want to create a moment for you to pray, to bring everything that you're going through, everything that you're feeling this morning, and just to bring it into the presence of Jesus, to experience his closeness and his witness. And so if you just want to make more room for the presence of Jesus, one of the things that we love to do right in this community is just to open our hands in front of us, just as a physical sign of what we want to experience within us. As we open our hands out, we're just making room. And if you're at home right now, can I encourage you just to do the same, just to change your posture, just to open yourself up. And just take a few moments and just pray. Just communicate with the Father. Be honest with him. Be open with him. Just bring what you're going through to him. Jesus, I pray that you would just come right now and that you would draw close, intimately close to my friends, to their honesty, to their circumstances, to their experience. Lord, would you bring healing where there needs to be healing? Would you bring hope to the hopeless? Would you bring a sense of calm to the anxious? Would you bring clarity to those of us who are confused? And to all of us, Lord, I just pray that you would just fill our lives with your goodness. presence. Would you just make us more aware of it, I pray. Lucy's going to lead us in worship, but can I just encourage you to stay in that space as we worship, as we just open ourselves up to the presence of Jesus. Let's worship.